0: Oh yeah Oh yeah Everything, everything, everything Gonna be alright this morning
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: I am live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Dawson Iserlo, with you here. Raymond Parsha III is on the campus of LSU Eunice and we are going to get to him in just a bit as we got a big show planned for you. We're going to start off talking Foster Moreau, big signing yesterday for the Saints and we're also going to get to the NBA playoffs, but then we will have a bunch of guests from LSUE as it's a remote broadcast from LSUE for RP3 this morning. He'll be talking to Travis Webb, the SID. He'll be also talking to Chad Jones, the Director of Recruitment and Outreach over there. Um, Then he'll talk with Dr. Nancy Sorensen, the Chancellor of the school. Before finally talking to Head Baseball Coach and Athletic Director Jeff Willis as the LSUE baseball team coming off a historic regular season is now getting geared up for postseason play. So we'll talk about all that. Also, the Astros got a big win over the Angels yesterday to win the series, get back above five hundred. another great pitching performance. As the offense continues to be a little bit inconsistent, but they're getting some nice efforts on the mound from some starting pitchers to hopefully carry them through until you get some reinforcements coming back um, in the next week, two weeks, three weeks. Who knows when you're going to get some guys back, but uh, hopefully it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And also we will be talking, as we always do on Thursdays, with Les East of Crescent City Sports. Talk about that Saints signing a little bit more and some other off-season storylines. So that is what we have in store. And um, first off, you know, I, I did want to talk about the Foster Moreau signing. This happened uh, late in the morning yesterday. Um, it was a situation where, you know, look, so the Saints brought Foster Moreau in. It was a, you know, a free agent that made a lot of sense at the beginning of the offseason. Saints kind of had a hole at tight end there, at least depth-wise. Um, this was before they even had ideas, of course, of trading Adam Troutman. Um, and it was a very unfortunate situation where Foster Moreau gets diagnosed with lymphoma um, at some point during the you know evaluation process when, when they were bringing him in for a physical. Not something you hear about in the NFL very often, but um, you know from everything we've heard, sounded like it was actually very fortunate that, that it was caught when it was. And so, essentially, at that time, the the message was: look, Foster's going to take some time away from football to to focus on his health, uh, of course, as you as you need to in those types of situations. And from there, it was a it was a situation where we would, you know, say, let's see what happens. Um, but then, of course, what ends up happening is apparently things are going well, and all of a sudden, we got rumblings that Foster Moreau was in conversation with the Saints again. Now, the interesting thing about it. Is in the meantime the Saints go into the draft and trade away Adam Troutman, their depth at tight end. They have a you know a bigger hole than they had before, and so you know we were kind of saying and we talked about this with Foot a little bit. Um, maybe the Saints had something in mind. I didn't know it was Fausse Moreau at the time, but we figured maybe they have something in mind here because I don't know if they trade Adam Troutman away without a plan. And sure enough, here we go. We get news that Fausse Moreau signs yesterday. So this is a good depth move. Um, this is something that should be able to you know, help them shore up that spot. And uh, I think all things considered, it's um, it's a positive signing. Foster Moreau has a little history with quarterback Derek Carr as well. They played together with the Raiders, and so Derek Carr getting another guy that he's familiar with. We saw that with Brian Edwards, or brought it in earlier in the offseason. Now we see it with Foster Moreau. But now we do have our guy, RP3, over on the Cajun Prairie. Let's uh, go to him now and uh, get the early update. Ma D-Lo,
3: good morning, how are you?
2: Doing well, how about you?
3: We're doing stupendous. It is another glorious morning on the Cajun Prairie, brother.
2: It always is.
3: We're going to be here for the next three hours as we're broadcasting live from on the campus of LSUE here on the Cajun Prairie. We've got a great lineup for you today, but... We're going to lead off today's show talking about that Foster Moro news. You already been talking about it, Dawson. And look, my initial thing, my initial thoughts are this: this is a great move in a multitude of ways. One, uh, the Saints, if Foster can be healthy and be ready for the start of the season, and all the reports are that he will be, right, is you help your tight end depth. You give a reliable target that's someone that Derek Carr is familiar with, someone that he trusts immensely. We know that he loves throwing to the tight end. This also gives you that additional depth that you're needing at that position after you trade away Adam Troutman, who proved that he did not know how to catch the football in the NFL. So that works out on that way. Just from a roster standpoint, from a depth chart standpoint, and just from helping your new quarterback out, it checks all the boxes. This is also a great kind of feel-good story in the fact that the Saints were the ones that pursued him first uh, before anyone else wanted to. They wanted to sign him. He was going through the process. It was during their medical examination that they figured out that there was something off. And because of that, they were able to get the diagnosis for him that in many ways is going to help save his life. And now that he's healthy and other teams started expressing an interest in the last few weeks when we started hearing rumblings about this, Foster said, I'm going to stick with the team.
2: Yeah. No, and, and I think that's all those reasons are, are part of the reason you, you get that job, that deal done. Um, the only thing I would say about Moreau is – I think there's been mixed grades on his run-blocking ability. It's something I looked into a little bit more once the signing was announced yesterday. And, um, you know, I think we think of him as a good run-blocker. And I think some of the grading out, which can be a little bit unreliable at times uh, from PFF and other sources, actually had him struggling a lot in run-blocking last year. So that's something I'm interested in looking at as, you know, this kind of starts to develop and as, you know, his role on this team is kind of unveiled to us with the plans that Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, and those guys have for him, is how much of a run blocking presence is he expected to be? Because on paper it seems like he's going that's going to be one of the main parts of his job because we know Juwan Johnson's a converted wide receiver. um, and that's not the biggest strength of his game. So I think that's interesting to see how does that play out. And, you know, look, was last year The run-blocking grades that he received that weren't super complimentary, was that a result of, again, maybe just not a great situation to be in? The ironic thing about that is that the Raiders actually had a very good run game last year, and Josh Jacobs had a great season for them. So um, I think all that's kind of interesting to see how that plays out. But overall, you know, I look, again, you talk about risk and reward, and that's something I like to... Really kind of focus on in, in you know, most aspects of sports, specifically signings like this. And I said that about you know, the Michael Thomas trade as well, uh, or re-signing rather. You know, it, was, it was low risk, high reward for the Saints. Like you brought him in on a one-year deal, and if it works out, great. You get one good year. Maybe he decides to re-sign. Good chance he goes elsewhere. And that's still fine because you're getting something out of the player. Um, when also we had kind of assumed that he was as good as gone. I think that was just kind of the consensus feeling around Michael Thomas and around the Saints, you know, fan base and media and everyone that I, I don't even know if the guys in the building thought he was going to be back. So now you bring him in on a low risk, high reward situation in which, hey, if it doesn't work out and he doesn't play again, you only sign him for one year anyway. Um, and I think Foster Moreau's is the same type of situation. Now it's a little bit different because he's not going to cost you nearly as much. They did give him three years and they gave him some guaranteed money, but, you know, certainly a a price you can handle you can stomach so I think that's something to kind of keep in mind as well with this whole deal and you know I think this roster's still kind of coming together and and I would say after the draft the tight end spot would be would have been the big blinking red light on this roster where is where is something missing from the Saints team well it's got to be tight end because they trade away Adam Troutman and Juwan Johnson we've already talked um, and I know RP3 agree, agrees with me about Taysom Hill not really being a tight end despite being listed there sometimes. Yeah, he'll run some routes, and, yeah, sure, he'll run block as well, but he's not going to play 30 snaps a game at the tight end spot. Um, and so I That think is that's correct,
3: something. Dawson. That is correct. You couldn't hear me, but I could hear you. Sorry. Okay. We got you back. <laughs> We're back up. Our guy here at LSUE, Travis Webb. You know, uh, he's sports information director, but he does it all over here. Internet technician, uh, part-time uh, janitor, uh, blogger, videographer, fi- uh, figuring out, getting us back on the air here. But as, as we were saying, uh, look, for me, and I'm not for sure how much you were able to hear there, but for me, uh, this checks all the boxes in a big way because you add depth, you have someone that Derek Carr trusts, You have someone that has great chemistry with Derek Carr. You give some competition to Jawan Johnson, which is not a bad thing as well. And you check all the boxes from a team standpoint, from an offensive standpoint as well. But the other thing that makes this such a great story is that the Saints were the team that first pursued Foster. They are the team, through their medical process, that figured out that something was wrong with Foster. He's able to get an early jump on fighting this disease, and when he starts to get healthy and the prognosis is positive for the young man, the former Jesuit Blue Jay and LSU captain, that he still commits to the Saints. So it's kind of a great story all the way around.
2: Yeah, and that's something we didn't even really get to. You sort of mentioned it there. He's a hometown guy. Went to Jesuit high school right there in New Orleans, a school I'm very familiar with. Had a lot of friends who graduated from Jesuit. And um, also an LSU guy. And there's always this kind of situation. And, you know, look, I think sometimes it's maybe done on purpose that the Saints don't bring in a ton of hometown, New Orleans-based, LSU-based guys uh, because of the pressure it brings. But in this situation... They had no issues doing it. They bring him in, and uh, I think that's something that the fan base maybe appreciates because they don't get to see the hometown guys play for the Saints all that often.
3: Well, and I think that's also changing, right? The the narrative for the longest time is that the Saints didn't draft LSU players, that there was this disconnect between uh, the LSU football program and Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis and the Saints. And I think a lot of that stemmed during the Les Miles era. My argument was always, well – Where the Saints were drafting at, the great LSU players were already gone by that time. Now, a few folks bring up the fact that when Patrick Queen fell a few years ago that they didn't select him, they went in another direction that year. I also thought that was just based because of a position of need. Now, we've also seen them just in the last couple years, right? I mean, last season alone, last offseason alone, They brought in the Honey Badger and Jarvis Landry, both in-state guys, both former LSU Tiger stars. So I think that's changing, right? That whole thing of, well, the Saints hate using LSU guys or they hate signing LSU guys. Well, sometimes, uh, D'Lo, those LSU guys were just too good that they weren't there available for them in the draft or they couldn't convince them to come in free agency because they got better and bigger deals elsewhere.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, there's this, situation with these these NFL college pipelines that I never really bought too much into. I felt like the Saints-Ohio State thing. Sure, there's relationships there, but I didn't know how much validity I put into it. But now with what you're seeing with the Eagles in Georgia, you have to sit there and think there's certainly something to it. But also take a look and realize Georgia's nowhere near Philadelphia and Ohio State's nowhere near New Orleans. So I actually think that it, I don't know if it's on purpose that it happened like that, but I do think there's something to the logic of not trying to stack your franchise with a bunch of local talent because of the pressure involved with those guys playing at home and um, just kind of the, you know, I don't know if it's an inability to evaluate those guys fairly, but I just think those types of pipelines make more sense when they're done with schools that are far away from home.
3: Well, and, and to that point, you always do worry about the hometown kid. You know, A lot of times you'll hear high school coaches discuss that in the way where they're like, hey, I don't want my guy to go anywhere close to home because I want them to go away from home to get away from the distractions of their friends and family, and there's something to that. At the professional level, though, I just think it's it's just sometimes a fit and sometimes the value that you deem. And once again, we've talked about it a lot. The Saints, for the longest time, right, they value certain positions in the draft in the first and, and second round. And it's O-line, D-line, DB, and wide receiver. Well, a lot of those years when you had LSU players that had first- or second-round draft grades that were coming out, the Saints weren't in a position to draft them anyway, Dawson, because their positions of need, the ones that they value more than anything, those four position groups, maybe LSU didn't have guys that were first- or second-round grades at those position groups, or they got selected beforehand. Right. So that's the other part of that, not to dwell too much on this. Now all reports are that he all the reports are that he's gonna be ready to go for the start of the season. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, no, and I'd be interested to ask Les, you know, if he has maybe any any better idea of that. I think it's way too far out to know that, but I think him signing, him getting back into the mix to be signed, all that could only sound like good, you know, good steps in his recovery and that things are going well with treatment. so I mean we got a long summer ahead of us but yeah, it's it's trending in the right direction of um, of him being able to make an impact this season and maybe early this season.
3: So Foster Moro, the Jesuit Blue Jay LSU star LSU captain he got to uh, wear the jersey that has not been tainted by people opting out or not performing well. it's the it's the anti number seven tradition at lsu have uh, been a very good player in the pros for the raiders including developing a great connection with Derek carr he's now reunited with carr in new orleans and we'll see how much of a difference maker he can be for the saints for the 2023 season we'll talk more about foster signing with the saints when les east joins us later on today in the eight o'clock hour once again we are broadcasting live from the campus of LSU. Eunice here on the Cajun Prairie for this special road trip and edition of RP3 and Company. When we come back, we're going to talk last night's NBA playoffs. kind of went as expected. The teams bounced back in the big way that we thought they would, but does that mean that these series are going to be over come game six? Dawson and I will discuss that next right here on the game.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from the Cajun Prairie here on the campus of LSUE. Of course, I'm here, but our guy, Dawson Izerloh, that's right, D'Loh is back in the studios. They're in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. We talked to Foster Morrow signing. That's a done deal. And we talked in uh, to lead off the show about how that's going to make a huge impact for the Saints, for their offense, and for, obviously, Derek Carr and getting him situated more in the offense in New Orleans. But it's also time for us to talk a little NBA playoffs. D'Lo, as expected, things went kind of as expected, at least for me last night. In the NBA playoffs, Golden State responded against the Lakers to uh, be able to stave off elimination. And the same thing happened in the Knicks Heat semifinal series as we expected New York to respond. Jalen Brunson went off, had himself a heck of a game. Were you surprised by last night at all? And do you think this changes your thought process on how these two series are going to end up finishing?
2: No, I, was, I mean, I was a little surprised the Knicks played well, um, especially with the first ten minutes of that game or so. I thought uh, I thought they were dead in the water. Now they they did respond. I don't know if it changes anything for me. I think Miami's overall been playing much better over the course of the series, and I expect them to close it out when they go back home for Game Six. Um, the Golden State game didn't surprise me though, and um, you know I, I watched that game a little closer, and I have a couple of things written down about it too. So you know, just depending on which game we're going to get to first here, but. I just felt like Golden State's uh not ready to lay down in these situations and I felt like they should have won game 4 too. There's just a couple of things that didn't go well for them at the end, but I think they were um they were ready to respond. Now, game 6 is going to be the uh the big hurdle. I think they're going to be at a disadvantage. They're going back on the road and um they'll have to come up with uh with a bit of a special performance from somebody to beat the Lakers uh in their home arena.
3: The I want to we'll start with the Lakers Warriors they, you know, it feels like the Warriors, even though they're coming off winning a world title a year ago and continues to kind of give life to this dynasty run that they've had. It does feel like they're nearing a crossroads with this roster. Draymond Green's uh, contract, Clay Thompson's only under contract for one more year. You know, they gave that big contract to Jordan Poole and, you know, he's seen his time limited throughout here. Uh, especially after he missed the game-winning shot earlier in the series. So it does feel like the Warriors are kind of at a crossroads. For the Lakers, you know, no one expected them to really be here, right? I mean, they reshuffled their roster. The mistakes they made in the offseason with Patrick Beverly and Russell Willsbrook, they tried to fix those, and they've become a better team, Uh, so much so that, you know, they got into the play-in tournament, and then here they are one win away from the Western Conference Finals. But we've said it over and over again. LeBron is older. He doesn't take over ball games the way that he did when he was younger. And they're only going to go as far as Anthony Davis can take them. And he was good last night before he got knocked in the head. Now, there's been a lot of discussion on why was he put in a wheelchair? Uh, (laughs) You know, some people speculated, well, because he's in concussion protocol. But you're, we're not really for sure if that's the case. Uh, some, some speculate that because they were in Golden State, where the Lakers bench was to the training room is so far away that they do, they do that for protocol purposes. I, I don't know. But look, I do know this. You can't can out Golden State because we've seen them come back from a deficit before famously against the Oklahoma City Thunder, which they went on to beat the Thunder and move on to the finals, and of course the next year Kevin Durant joined them. This is not that same team, right? They don't have Iggy, they don't have Sean Livingston, they don't have some of those role players that were huge during their first run of making it to the finals, but you can't count them out because they still have the best shooter possibly of all time. But I do expect if AD is healthy and can go, they're going to be energized being back in Los Angeles, and it feels like you're going to see maybe a quote-unquote LeBron type of game in Game Six because I think the Lakers know if they go seven and it has to go back to Golden State that they're going to lose this series.
2: Yeah, and 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 so I watched this this first quarter very intently too because me and Foot had a conversation about it yesterday. Um, there was some backlash from well, Mike Greenberg's comments that the, re- the Lakers should consider resting LeBron and AD in this game, and Foot and I basically said, like, okay, yeah, you're not going to rest them, but, like, if they don't play well early on in this game, we've seen the Lakers, they will rest themselves, essentially, like, they will play, but they will kind of go through the motions, we saw it against Memphis, I mean, Game 5, they got destroyed, But it felt like that was part of their plan, in a way, because they're older, and they just don't... You know, LeBron doesn't have, you know, seven full-blown go-all-out games in him, but he can do it four or five times in a series, so... I thought that was going to be interesting to watch. And then you get a Draymond Green 3 to start the game, which that means Golden State's going to have a good offense today if they get a 3 from Draymond. Yeah, right well, any, any time Draymond yeah. can
3: actually score in double figures, you're usually pretty good, you know, you're pretty in right. good shape if you're Golden State.
2: And so they get a 3 from Draymond, they score, they look good early on, and then it's a little bit, you know, a couple of turnovers, some transition buckets, and then... Uh, I had it written down here. Yeah, Steph Curry hits a 30-footer with 7.5 left to play in the first quarter to make the score 17-5. to And I thought, okay, this game's over. Like, that's what I thought. I thought the Lakers are going <laughs> to lay off the gas. Golden State's going to cruise. We'll see what happens in Game 6. But that didn't happen. Go, uh, the Lakers kind of dug in a little bit, and they get back into this now. Golden State hits a bunch of threes. Golden State made 13 three-point shots in this game. They made seven of them in the first quarter. So they shot well early. They didn't necessarily shoot well the entire game. Um, but but the Lakers kind of dig in and they make this a ball game and they stay close. They're only down four at the end of the first quarter. Um, they battle through the half. It's only uh, now Golden State goes on a little run at the very end of the first half and they hit a couple of threes at the end. That was what kind of made it a, a double digit lead at the at the break. But my point being in all this is that the Lakers played harder than I thought they would. Um, they fought throughout and now they never got you know into the danger zone for Golden State in the second half. Golden State had a somewhat comfortable lead. But, I give credit to the Lakers for not just bowing out and saying, hey, if we can take Game 5 and end this now, let's go ahead and do it. And that sets up an interesting Game 6 because, look, Golden State has some clear issues. They have some clear disadvantages in this series. We've talked about them already, the size mismatches and things. They'll actually probably have to shoot better than 13 to 35 from 3, even though that's not a bad percentage. But like I said, they made 7 of those in the first half. They only make 6 in the first quarter. They only make 6 threes the rest of the game combined, so... That's something to monitor. I just think you're going to have to get a special performance from somebody to beat the Lakers in game six. Now, that being said, if they're able to do that, game seven back to the Bay Area, you all of a sudden maybe like to shift this in favor of Golden State. So the series is over, but I still think the Lakers are at an advantage heading into game six.
3: I do like the Lakers in game six. I think you're going to see. I do like the fact that they they showed fight. They just didn't lay over last night. Um, But it's all going to depend on Anthony Davis, right? I mean, if, if you're going to get the great Anthony Davis, then the Lakers, I feel, will will win game six. If you're going to get the guy that disappears, because once again, it's all about consistency with AD. It's always been that way ever since he came out of Kentucky. So if he's not on point, I could see the Golden State Warriors easily winning game six. Let's quickly talk about the Eastern Conference semifinal matchup from last night, Knicks-Heat. We expected New York to respond. They were back in the garden. Brunson went off D'Lo. They had a nice game. There was a nice bounce-back game. But it doesn't change my perception of what this series is going to go down. Now it shifts back to Miami. Jimmy Butler, Miami, Spo, great coaching, great playoff performer. The crowd, we, we make fun of Miami and their fan base all the time. It's one of those cities that, you know, people show up only when they're good. Well, guess what? The Heat are pretty good. And they've proven that they're really good in this playoffs. I like Miami to close it out in Game 6, even despite what I saw last night, particularly from Brunson and the Knicks.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think they get it done. And, and look, the Knicks shot 40 free throws last night. Um, you know, Of course, part of that's being up late. You're going to shoot extras. But they got to the line. They were physical. I thought Jimmy Butler, the only thing that worries me about the Heat is Jimmy Butler played 43 minutes in this game. Um. Oof, yeah. And so now coming back. Now he wasn't particularly great. Five of twelve from the field. But the interesting thing is, like, he didn't look for his. And and look, part of that is certainly what the Knicks are doing defensively. They're they're putting an emphasis on it. Um. But maybe it shows you he's going to need a little help in Game Six because I I, I imagine the Knicks are. You know, And look, it depends the type of defensive approach they're going to take to it. I don't know if they're going to double him every possession or pick him up 40 feet from the basket. But right. like, they're going to do their best to not get beat by him because they've seen how many times he is beaten people in the postseason this year. So um, I do still give an advantage to the Heat, but they got to get more from their peripheral guys. They had a nice outing from Duncan Robinson last night. He's kind of reemerged, and um, they'll need something like that. But overall, yeah, I thought the Knicks played better Um, But still nothing to really instill a ton of confidence in me moving forward.
3: we got to take a timeout. When we return here on this special road tripping edition of RP3 and Company, we're going to shift the focus from the pros to the college ranks because the man who is in charge of all sports media here on the Cajun Prairie, you know him, you'll love him. Our old friend Travis Webb will be joining us live right here on the campus of LSU. That's coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and
1: Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the Cajun Prairie. That's right. We're here on the campus of LSU, Eunice, and now we're joined by the man who's in charge of media media. Uh, sports information director, or I say assistant athletic director, man who handles everything, shoots the videos, shoots the photos, writes the stories about the games, travels with the team, uh, probably even handles some equipment issues. Our old friend, Travis Webb, good and morning. None,
4: and none of that's actually in my job title here. <laughs> <laughs> my job description has zero to do with athletics.
3: Uh, but yes, you are the man who handles everything. Office of Public Relations, obviously is uh, the department he works in. So let's talk about lots going on around here when it comes to the LSU athletics. Let's start off with softball. They're in the playoffs as well, and they played last night.
4: Yeah, so the Region 23 tournament for, for folks that don't really know much about, you know, LSUE softball outside of winning six national championships. Uh, this is kind of the, the preliminary tournament that gets you into the national tournament. Uh, it's a 10 team double elimination tournament. Uh, nine of the other schools are from Mississippi. I want to say six of them are currently right now the NJCAA top 20. Uh, LSUE right now is number 15. Uh, we took down number 11, Northwest Mississippi, l- last night, 3 2. Great game. A uh, three run home run by Madison Prejean, St. Thomas Moore product. Uh, was really the only offense that LSU we needed. Chloe Bennett, she's from Rose Pine, so you Lake Charles area folks familiar uh, with the Rose Pine area. She's headed to southeastern Louisiana next year. Uh, she kind of handled a, a northwestern or northwest Mississippi offense, two solo home runs, worked out of some traffic, gutsy, you know, just typical playoff win. And now uh, they'll play Friday, 11 a.m., against Jones College, who is another kind of perennial power. They're hosting the tournament. Um uh, we took down Jones and ended their season last year in the Region 23 tournament. So it should be, uh, I guess is to say spicy.
3: It, sh- it should be spicy Friday. Spicy. I like that. It's spicy when it comes to uh, the, the softball program. And, you know, they're playing, they're they're hosting the uh, the tournament. So there's a lot of great action going on right there. Let's continue talking about the softball program because a lot of times – look we're gonna have coach on Jeff Willis longtime athletic director national championship winning coach for baseball uh, when people a lot of times think of lSUe Travis they think of the baseball mm-hmm. program and, and that's how it's been but this softball program has won national championships it recruits great players it sends them off as you mentioned to bigger programs you know in larger conferences larger classifications just talk a little bit about maybe how underrated the softball program really is. It, it's kind of a, a great complementary
4: team or program or his, history to LSUE baseball. You know, Jeff was able to kind of get things rolling in 2006 for that first national championship. And then uh, Andy Lee for softball, who's now at Northwestern Flor- Northwest Florida, uh, he was able to lead the Bengals to six national championships, uh, started in 11, and then went 13-14, 16-17, uh, lSUe has had a national championship team every year outside of last year since 2010 and, and so that's 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 a pretty good run so by yeah the way. so there's a, there, I mean there's a, our trophy case we don't even have room anymore for for national championship trophies uh so you know lSUe has a history of excellence in softball in baseball and, and it's going even further we'll talk about it a little bit with basketball, men's and women's, men's and women's soccer, but but softball. If you're in softball circles in the state, in the region, and in junior college world nationally, LSU is a known quantity. Correct. LSU is a known commodity, and you know Megan Collins, who's now in her fourth year. You know she does it a little bit different than Andy. Andy's kind of Andy's Andy. Megan is a. You know, she, she was under Becky Clark at South Alabama, and so if any softball fans know the rivalry and maybe the mindset of Becky Clark, that's Megan Collins. She's a, an incredibly hard worker. She's tough but passionate on the kids, and, and what I love about that softball team is they fight. That they will never give up. They will not lay down. And that's what I'm most excited to see this weekend for that region tournament is to see those young ladies fight because uh, they have a lot of talent, and I think they're going to
3: surprise a lot of people this postseason. Let's talk about the newest coaching hire here for uh, uh, for one of the programs. What can you tell us? So Jamel
4: Samuels is taking over for the women's basketball program. Uh, our previous head coach left right before the season. Um so we had an interim head coach, uh, Jacob McDonald, who was, you know, I uh, saw Danny Brewster text you. I know Danny's very familiar with him, uh, former, you know, star at St. Thomas More, assistant at St. St. Thomas More, Byron Starks, right-hand man here yep. for the LSU women's basketball program. He kind of took over from an X's and O's standpoint this past year. So uh, Jamel now will be taking over the women's program. A little bit about him. He's from New York. Uh, he, he's he's born and bred in Brooklyn, uh, oh wow! P- yeah, from upstate, uh, ended up playing upstate New York around the Albany area. But he's coached at Bryant and Stratton, a a, a junior college Division three, so a little bit step lower. But has had great success at that level up there. Um, and what I like about him is you can tell that he's incredibly passionate about the game, and they're going to play uh, a, a very fun style of basketball. And I think that the, the the ladies, who they didn't have the season, I think they expected. I think they're ready to get to work, and, and it, it should that they should also be a very fun team to watch next year.
3: And, of course, Coach Bruce Hart just texted me and said, we are all over lsu So he takes great yeah. pride in the relationship between St. Thomas-Moore and the Bengals athletics over here. Uh, quickly, uh, let's talk about uh, recruits. Uh, for the multiple sports, been being able to get some, uh, and particularly on the hardwood. Yeah, you know, so this year's kind of, you know, we
4: at towards the back end of the year, it's kind of the culmination of everything. Right, you know, baseball, softball we're postseason, but for our four other sports on campus, now it's kind of you know signing on that dotted line, and you know the championships are nice here, but what's really great, what I love about you know telling these stories for these kids, you're at a junior college for a reason. You want to go to the four year level, and so all these kids being able to go to the four-year level. Keani Saxon, who you're kind of alluding to in the basketball court, he signed with Missouri uh, Western, I believe. Let me get that because I got it from Byron yesterday. Yeah, Missouri Western, NCAA 2A school. Keani's from New Zealand. So think about that. You know, you come down here to Louisiana to go to Missouri, but to get a four-year education, to get that degree, to have that that student-athlete experience. And, you know, for a guy like him, maybe try to go build your resume, build your game, to maybe go back home and play professionally. And so – You know, Bryce Roberts right now has some offers. He's the LCCAC and LABC Junior College Player of the Year. He did a great job for us now. Uh, Caden Pierre, a couple of guys that are offered. So this is the exciting time for them of figuring out where you want to go. Women's soccer just recently announced. uh, We had eight of our student-athletes sign on to go to play at four-year institutions. That's a program record.
3: That's a huge deal.
4: Yeah, and so... This is the fun time of the year where a lot of our kids, there's so much excitement. They're not playing right now, but they're getting that extra opportunity that, you know, that was part of the deal here. You come here, we're going to get you somewhere to to go to a four-year school, And, and now it's kind of the back end of that deal.
3: Quickly, i got about 45 seconds. Obviously, you guys are gearing up for the baseball region tournament, which LSUE is hosting. That starts next week. Just tell us a little bit about the expectations and what it's like putting on an event like that. I'll just
4: make it very brief and succinct. If you're a fan of baseball, you need to get here. You're going to see a lot of kids that will play in the SEC, play in the Sun Belt, play in the Southland. If you're a McNeese fan, if you're a UL fan, if you're an LSU fan, there's going to be some names that you'll see in a year or two and say, oh, I remember him. We have kids that are throwing mid to upper 90s. We have guys that can hit some tanks. If you like college baseball, if you like a competitive atmosphere, again, the number one ranked team, the number three ranked team, and the number four ranked team in junior college baseball in Division II will be here on in Eunice next week, and it's going to be a great time. Uh, LSU National Championship in 2001. 21, excuse me, Pro River last year as well, so the last two national champions here as well.
3: And uh, rumor has it you'll have a, a pretty good guy on the call. For yeah, delo
4: delo has been a godsend for yeah, me, man. There <laughs> it
3: is. There it is. That's our guy. Travis, appreciate it, brother. Of Thank course. you for making all this happen. Thanks for being here. Travis Webb, Office of Public Relations, but he does it all. Sports information, director, videographer, writer, blogger. He does it all here on the Cajun Prairie. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll close out hour number one. We'll unveil that poll question of the day. D'Lo will do that because he's the man that came up with it. That's all coming up next right here on The Game.
1: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Four game sixes are going to take place in the next two days, RP3. How about that? Four. Not one, not two, not
3: three, but four. That's what you're telling me.
2: Every remaining series in the NBA playoffs is going to see a game six. So, that inspired the poll question of the day today, which is how many of those game sixes will produce game sevens? Of course, anytime you have a game six, that means one team has a chance to close it out. The other one's trying to extend the series. Uh, Your choices are zero to one. Only get four answer choices. Had to lump them in. So I put 0-1, 2, 3, or all 4. Right now, 9% of you say 0-1, to one, so a lot of people think teams are going to survive here. 30, 36% say 2, 27% say 3, and 28% say all 4. I chose 3 um, because, honestly, I think all but the Knicks series has a good chance to go to Game 7. The other one, I, I, would, I would think the Lakers get it done. But... I don't know. I just feel like there's something about Golden State and and that championship DNA. Now, there's been reports of kind of that locker room being a little bit iffy recently, and uh, we'll see if they're able to pull things together. That would be the one. So I would say two or three is your best bet. I, I don't know why I still trust Boston to win a game, but I just do. Um, that might be my biggest mistake as well. So that's the funny thing, too. I mean, there's a reason all these teams are down three to two, right? They have not played as well as the other team has in this series for the most part. Um, but... I think there's still a little bit something to be said when a team is playing with more urgency. So I think more times than not, you might see a game seven forced uh, this time around.
3: You know, I think we're going to have two of them go seven. I think Suns, Nuggets, feels like that's going to go seven games for sure. I agree uh, with you. I feel like the Lakers are going to close it out, but you can't count out the Warriors. I think the Heat get the job done. And for Boston,
0: you
3: know, they have the talent. They should be the team, but, man, they have just messed around with the Philadelphia 76ers, and they're on the brink of elimination. So, I could see that easily going seven as well. So, I, I'm with you. It feels like two to three. We're going to get some great series here in the conference semifinals. we got to take a timeout. Hour one is in the books. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the rest of today's show. First hour's done. How are we going to kick off our number two? How about the man who's in charge of academic outreach and all that kind of good stuff? You know him, my broadcast partner. Chad Jones will join us live here on the Cajun Prairie for this special edition of RP3 and Company as we're road tripping at LSUE.
0: Whoa! Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
3: Welcome back to this special road trip and edition of RP3 and Company. We are here on the campus of LSUE. That's right. We're on the Cajun Prairie, hour one in the books. We talked about the Foster Moreau signing by the New Orleans Saints. He is signed a three-year deal to join the Black and Gold. We discussed that, Dawson and I did. We talked about the NBA playoffs from last night as well with the Knicks staving off elimination and the Warriors doing the same thing. And then, of course, We talked all things LSUE with Travis Webb from the Office of Public Relations, a.k.a. also the Sports Information Director, videographer, blogger, photographer, and everything else. Now we're talking to another man here that does it all on the campus of LSUE. The man known on site, on the Cajun Prairie as, wait for it, Mr. LSUE. That's what the chancellor tells me your nickname is here on campus. So she tells me that's your nickname. That's the nickname we go with. My broadcast partner from the St. Landry Game of the Week, my buddy Chad Jones, is here.
0: W- Good morning, sir. How are you? How are you doing, Raymond?
3: I am doing tremendous. I'm hanging out in the Cajun Prairie.
0: I'm just excited to have you back on campus, my friend. We I love really love for you to come.
3: I love being here. Um, we're going we're, we're, we're to talk to you. You got
0: to... Got a, little, got a little gray go. going. Got a little gray going. It's been a stressful academic year.
2: What For everybody,
0: on? Raymond and I have a great relationship. We do not come from the same parents, but we are brothers. Brother, so. brothers from another mother.
3: <laughs> All right. So, what is obviously, look, it's always an exciting time that the semester, the school year, the academic year is winding yep. down. Yep. So, what does that entail? for you and your office at this time of the year getting prepared and then obviously you don't rest very long because you have to turn around and start preparing for the, uh, the fall, but what's going on right now on campus with your office?
0: Well, right now we're in our registration for our summer and our fall semesters. We're very excited. We started registration March 27th. Our numbers are looking good. We have a new registration process where we're getting students to come in first, do some pre-advising, make sure they have everything they need, and then we get them in their classes. So that's what's going on in, re- in regards to the summer, 23, of course, and fall 23, our first day of class, August 21st for fall Ooh. 23. It's not too late. Even for those high school seniors, as you know, graduation is occurring all across Louisiana. It's still not too late. LSUE is open admission. All you have to do is apply for admission, Raymond, online, complete that application, and we can get you situated with some classes for a reasonable price. Our tuition, $2,365 a semester, Raymond. If you break that up into payments, that's less than car notes. <laughs>
3: That is that is less than car notes and that's uh, far less than my mortgage by the way <laughs> yes. as well just yeah. I like to point that Raymond out. Raymond has
0: a beautiful house.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the other thing that I think that you guys do such a good job here is y- you reach out to all the the communities. You guys don't rest on the fact that you're part of the LSU system. You're out there. You guys are constantly doing events down in Kaplan or in uh, Saint Martin Parish, Saint Landry Parish, uh, Vermilion Parish. You've been watching Raymond. I know. I've been watching, Rain, nah, yeah. no, I've been watching Evangeline been watching. Parish. You, you guys, try to have your footprint extremely wide. So, for those who may be out there listening, who may have, uh, may have their own children that are set to graduate or are getting ready to go, you know, why is LSUE the the place to go for so many? Here, throughout not only acadiana but Southwest Louisiana, all the way over to Lake Charles and back.
0: Well, first of all, our brand. We're the only two-year school in the LSU system, and students can get an LSU product right here in Southwest Louisiana. Number two, excellent faculty and staff. I don't do any of this by myself. Travis can tell you that we work with great people. You you mentioned it. You hear about us in Vermilion Parish, Evangeline Parish, St. Landry Parish, Acadia Parish, all of those areas, all the way to Calcasieu, as far East as uh, Point Capete Parish and, and West Baton Rouge Parish, it's because we have great people. Our social media, my co-worker, uh, she is is excellent, who does a great job with our communications, Heidi Pete, And we care about students. That's the essential thing. We want students to either graduate from LSUE, Transfer or do both? You know, and the importance of a two-year school cannot
3: be, look, you're talking with someone who is a a graduate of a two-year school. I graduated when, lived up in central Illinois. I went to a junior college when I was coming out of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So the best thing for me was to go that route. Took a lot of my core classes there. Took some broadcasting courses, but that got me better prepared, better suited for when I did eventually move on to a four-year university. Because many times for for a lot of young people, Chad, and you know this dealing with them as you have for decades now, is that going to a four-year school and going away from home can be an overwhelming experience. And so many times we see it where young people will go to a school, they'll go to a four-year university, it's too much. you know, Being on campus, surrounded by thousands of people, it being away from home is always a big contributing factor. What you guys provide here is that people in the region, a lot of them can they can be here on campus if they want to and, and live here in Eunice or right outside of Eunice, but they can also be commuters and make that transition a little bit easier to college
0: life. And, and that's so important. You mentioned it, Raymond. Coming out of high school, I wasn't ready for a four-year university. But you get the basics here. You get that small campus environment and you get to try for a reasonable price. And that's something you cannot overlook whenever you're making your decision about college. And we hear about loan debt right now. That's one of the things that's discussed on a national level. There are so many students who start college and they get into massive debt. Not at LSU. You can start here. Test the waters, see if you like it, and then you're saving money at the same time. We have students, Raymond, who actually make money coming to LSU. That is a rarity. But two year schools offer you that opportunity, and we're in the LSU system as well. I was last night. Matter of fact, well, let, yesterday evening, I was in Maryville, Louisiana. You oh, know, you shout know that's a Maryville, Louisiana. <laughs> Maryville, Louisiana. I was not expecting some <laughs> Maryville, Louisiana discussion. <laughs> this I was morning. in Borgard Parish yesterday. All my friends over in Maryville, but. One of the things they asked Raymond, hey, can I get LSU football tickets if I go to LSUE? And that is correct. That yes, is you correct. can. We get an allotment of tickets because we have that LSU brand. And so, please, parents, don't be trying to come here and buy tickets now. It's for the students. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, let's not. Yeah, the t- Tigers are supposed to be good this year. They're going to be ranked at the top 15. Yeah. The kickoff the season, uh, please do not just show uh, show up on campus uh, banging on Travis's or Chad's door asking yeah. for football tickets. Yes, that's yes. not that's we we don't want to encourage. We that, don't type of do that. No. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. No, you know the other thing that it works so well that what you guys do here. And look, you're talking to someone who I graduated from, uh, went back to school, got my four year degree at LSUA, right yeah. in, in in Alexandria, LSU brothers. And and yeah, yeah. And, and for me, what made it so uh, easy easier for me is that i was able to work and still go to school and so many young people have to be put in a position where they may have to work they may not have gotten a scholarship they may not have their ride paid for so to speak so they have to pay for school themselves and a lot of us including my, uh, myself i didn't get student loans i paid for school straight up so I was able to do that in work. And that's the other thing that you guys can do here is that the students, if need be, they can hold down a job while still taking courses here as well and not have to take on such a large debt.
0: Only about 10% of our students stay on campus. Okay, The majority of our students are commuters. They drive back and forth. We do have housing on campus, but the majority of students either drive back and forth or they do it online. And so that provides a convenience to the students so that they can work Over 80% of our students get some type of federal financial aid. A large majority get Pell Grants, which, as you know, that's a need-based program. And we have people here that help our students if they need help acquiring that financial aid. Tops for those students who are getting the top scholarship. You can knock off $1,355 minimum, $1,355 off that $2,365 just with tops alone. That is a rarity to pay less than $2,000 for the cost of college. And so that is a great plus to the students of Southwest Louisiana and beyond because we're reaching into other states with our online programs. And so it's it's a great opportunity. And matter of fact, the fruits of our labor are coming, coming around right now. We have graduation. We are so proud of our graduates. We're having our first ever, ever dual enrollment, well, slash academy graduate graduation for the students that are in high school that are in our academy program. They will graduate their own graduation coming up next week. We're doing that for them. And then our graduation for our LSUE students will be on Saturday. So that'll be Friday, the graduation for our academy students. That should be the uh, 19th. And then our graduation is on the 20th.
3: Tell us a little bit more about this academy program that you just mentioned.
0: The academy is a great opportunity for those students who want to achieve more while in high school. They can get college credit. Most of them get 30 or more hours while in high school. And some of them even graduate, Right. Now, when you and I were in school, we weren't thinking about graduating from college, Raymond. I was barely thinking about trying to graduate from high school. (laughs)
3: Yes,
0: thank you. I was uh, was, like, we'll make it to the finish line. (laughs) Thank you. And so on uh, next uh, Friday, we're going to have those kids graduating from LSUE with their associate degree. And at the same time, they'll be graduating from high school. The cost saving is immeasurable. I'm telling you because these kids would have paid thousands and thousands of dollars for this most of them are paying very very reasonable prices our courses for those those kids is fifty dollars an hour that's amazing
3: we'll wrap it up with this because something that benefited me greatly in my uh, academic career was taking classes during the summer and look it 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 can be a bit of a buzzkill because obviously summertime is when you try to recharge or you go on vacation or something like that. I used summertime when I went back to school as a time to beef up, get my courses, take the courses that I needed to take. That way my workload in the fall and the spring wouldn't be as immense, plus it helped me graduate sooner than later as well. So how important is the summer courses for the students
0: here at LSUE? Look, I think it's a great opportunity because you can come in. Our summer school, matter of fact, starts June 5th. Uh, it's a Monday. It's a great opportunity for you to come in. Usually we don't have as many students. It's more of a relaxed environment. Yep. the summer, and you know that you can take one, two classes because six hours is full time in the summer. So that's two classes. Correct. I think it's a great opportunity for those students who want to get a head start. We also have students who are at other schools, who will come back home and take a course over the summer. And once again, you're saving so much money. LSU's cost is very affordable, and we welcome you to look at that. Please visit our website, www.lsue.edu. If you have any questions of me, you can get in touch with me at cjones at we're here to help you. L S U E success starts here, Raymond. It does start here.
3: And I thought your email was the real Chad Jones okay. at gmail.com.
0: I thought that was the that's not that's not the that's not that. All I know is this, Raymond, we had a great high school football season. <laughs> and and listen, Travis Webb is on board. He support. Travis did a great job. We had some great Publicity about LSU? Week? That's or, correct. I mean, and so a proud,
3: a, a proud sponsor of the St. Landry Parish game of the week.
0: St. Landry Parish game of the I'm week. I'm just waiting. I'm
3: why I keep I'm putting bringing pressure, that pressure. I'm putting the, the, the pressure. You're on putting your the right. pressure on me. You already laying the groundwork. It's May. You already laying the groundwork for that. I, I just, I just keep hoping that we actually one day run into the the other Chad Jones, the it's former LSU happen. player,
0: and we're gonna have a good laugh. How, how many times have people been so disappointed when I showed up and it's. <laughs> Like it's numerous times we've gone all over Southwest Louisiana, and I show up. It's like that commercial with the Michael they're Jordan
3: like, guy. They're like, he looks, he looks a little. He too looks a little old. scrawny and old, looks, old to be he that. Look, he looks Jones. too old. Looks too old for that, <laughs> brother. Appreciate it as always, Any man. Time. Keep up the tremendous By work. By the that way, you're
0: doing here. The, uh, the food people. Um, our food services said they're going to stuff you. Oh, man. We're, I get if taken you, care of every time I come get out here to the Cajun Prairie. The excellent
3: food. There yes. it is. There it is. Appreciate you, brother. No problem. Hey, we got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll update the poll question of the day and talk a little Houston Astros baseball as well. That's on tap. That's next as we broadcast live here from LSUE. We're on the Cajun Prairie, RP3 and company.
1: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
3: You look at all the guys that they got: Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola, more like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night.
1: <laughs> me fail English? That's impossible. Ooh, Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're on the road here on the Cajun Prairie on the campus of LSUE. For our special edition of the show. Dawson Iserlow is the producer extraordinaire. Of course, he's back inside the Evco Development Studios there in Upper Lafayette. Dawson, we covered a lot of ground this morning talking about Foster Moreau signing a three-year deal with the New Orleans Saints and how big of a deal that is for not only their roster death but also Derek Carr and his development and him being comfortable. We touched on that. We touched on the NBA playoffs last night. And that is where our poll question of the day is centered around. Once again, remind the folks what it is and what are the vote tallies right now. And do we have any comments to share?
2: Yeah, so the, the question of the day is uh, we'll see four game sixes in the next two days in the NBA playoffs. All four series going to game six. How many of them get to game seven? Right now, 6% of you say zero to one. 41% of you say two. That's the leading vote-getter right now. 29% say three, and 24% say all four. Ralph Bergeron says, only Adam Silver knows for sure. With a <laughs> gif of let me see the script. With
3: Yes, everyone, yes. Because the, 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 the skinny bald man is in charge of the playoffs. John Paul um, Cajun
2: Daddy says he doesn't know about the NBA, but the Breakers are 4-0, and and uh, he's asking McLeod Bethel Thompson to keep it up and says go Breakers.
3: You know, people are excited about the breakers, D'Lo. Look, I know you're not as warm to the spring football, but those breakers, even though they don't play play in New Orleans.
2: (laughs) No, and I like the the kickoff rules a lot. That's my biggest thing with that. Who Dad Forever says the Warriors have an opportunity to do the funniest thing. Um, I'm guessing he's referring to coming back on the Lakers, perhaps. I I guess. And JBK, the OD, says bring on the sudden death drama with a gift that says drama, baby. So, um yeah, no, it should be interesting. And um I think it's you know, I mean it's been it's been in I don't know if I'd say one of the better NBA playoffs in a while, but I think I would say that. A lot of intrigue, a lot of seeding that uh going in maybe you were questioning where teams were seeded, I think um you know, you Lots didn't question upsets. you didn't question Milwaukee being the one seed yet. They went down right away, but How about the Astros yesterday? That's a big series win. Um we didn't touch on that in the first hour, but they get a big series win over the Angels and uh Christian Javier was excellent. So you see with all the injuries, Framber and Christian Javier kind of stepping up and saying, we'll, we'll steady the ship for now.
3: And what was good, look, they had lost three straight series the Houston Astros had, so they needed a, a series win. They had it gave Otani the loss in Game 2 when Framber was just magnificent, his best performance so far this season. They get a great performance last night again, or yesterday afternoon, rather, and... They are able to absorb Otani there with, what, that was a two-run blast in the eighth or ninth inning?
2: The ninth inning, yeah. I know you don't ninth. like guys who do things that we've never seen before, generational talents, but that They're, that oh, home run on Otani, no, and it was a Ryan Presley breaking ball that almost hit the ground. And Otani reached out, and, and he hit it, and I said, wow, that's hit pretty well for how bad that pitch was. And then... It went back, and I said, man, that's hit really well. And then it just went into the stands about 15 rows deep. And I was like, there's just no way this guy can keep doing this type of stuff. But then Presley, to his credit, he buckles down, and there was some you know, some other drama after that. They got a couple base runners on. It didn't yeah. look good. But Presley ends up dancing out of danger, getting the save. Um, I always think it's funny. Like, Ryan Presley, that's going to count as a save for him. Uh, he gives up two runs and a couple more base runners, but he gets a save, whereas there's going to be other outings where he – is really good, gets maybe two strikeouts, and then gives up a solo homer and gets a blown save. Um, But that's the nature of being a closer in the major leagues.
3: Yeah, he he is your prototypical closer where he's going to have stretches where he's going to be dominant, right? He's just going to come in, strike out two of the three batters, boom, done, pick up the save, move on. And then there's going to be these adventures. And last night was uh, one of those classic closer Ryan Presley adventures where you're like, oh, no, oh, no, you know. Here they go. They're going to blow this series. They're going to the the bullpen, which has been, let's be honest, a little shaky to start the season. I think that's been a, a, a bit of a surprise for the Astros. But look, to his credit, he's able to get out of it. They get the save, and more importantly, they get the win. And look, this point of the season, D'Lo, when we're in May, it's all about just getting wins. You know, and Kevin uh, Foot, our friend, tells us all the time: just don't get swept. Don't get swept. Well, they lost three straight series. They got a series, and I know it's the Angels, and I know we make fun of them because they have two generational talents in Trout and Otani, and they still can't get above 500, and they still struggle. But it's a division series victory, and what's it's exactly what they needed, especially for a team that's been as banged up as the Astros have been. Still don't have Altuve back. We this this whole Michael Brantley situation is getting weirder by the day where all of a sudden yes. he stopped swinging, and there's no explanation why. He was doing his rehab assignment, and they say, well, he's not injured, but all of a sudden he stopped swinging. Which... He,
2: and he went back to Houston yesterday, which is not what I would like to hear. C- um, correct. Now, Dusty says he's just sore because he played a lot. I I don't know if you go back to Houston because you're just sore. I, I don't know. But, yes, that's that's kind of a conversation for a different time. But the other thing, too, and I'll go back to one last thing about Presley. The funniest thing about that outing is, like, the two-run homer he gave up was one of the best pitches he threw. It was a breaking ball almost in the dirt, and Shohei just reaches out and does Shohei things, but he did give up four hits um, and finds a way to get a save despite all that, so that's that's good to see, but you're hoping he's going to be a little bit better than that. Uh, I did want to update you on the AL West standings. The Oakland A's won the race to 30 losses. They, they just beat out Kansas City. They put a, a big stretch together where they lost four straight to ensure that title, so 8-30 and 30 now. The A's get to 30 losses uh, in near-record pace.
3: Maybe the A's and the Royals should face each other and figure out which team is going to be demoted down to the minor leagues. And, uh, yeah, we, we can, can do have
2: some... that. Listen, I mean, there's a couple teams in AAA that will have uh, something to say. Maybe the Nashville Sound's looking to move up.
3: There we go. There we go. we got to take a timeout. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we return here, though, on RP3 and Company, the special road trip edition here on the Cajun Prairie, the chancellor of lsu she will be joining us. Dr. Nancy Sorensen will be stopping by. That's coming up next right here on The Game.
1: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Welcome back to this road-tripping edition of RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from LSUE here in the Cajun Prairie. Joining us now on the show is the Chancellor of LSUE, Dr. Nancy Sorensen, joins us. It's been too long, Chancellor. Thank you so much.
5: I know. We're so excited that you're here. I love it when we do these things at the campus.
3: I agree. I love being here and I love what you guys are doing over here Lots going on on campus right now. You guys are preparing for a lot of things. And let's start off with the big thing. Obviously, graduation is upon us. How much of an undertaking is that for a university to be able to put on a graduation ceremony and make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted?
5: Well, let me just tell you, everybody on campus is involved in this. It takes every single person from our amazing facilities crew to our faculty uh, the staff in admissions and recruiting and the registrar's office they all do a phenomenal job of putting this together and LSUE dining because they're a big part of this as well so we're going to have, I think, the biggest graduation in college history on Saturday, May 20th. And we have switched it to the 20th because the entire week next week we're hosting an NJCAA baseball tournament. So we don't want to have any problems with people having enough places to park. Yes. You know, that have everybody having their own space, but we are super Excited about graduation. The Friday before, we're going to have a special graduation for our students in the LSU aca- LSUE Academy. And thou- those are students that are duly enrolled and they'll be graduating from high school and LSUE with an associate degree, and that is just pretty phenomenal. And then on the Thursday before that, we are going to have every preschool. Uh, age child, preschool, and Head Start child in Eunice here graduating uh, with their pre, you know, from preschool. That's
3: that's amazing. And
5: that is so amazing because the families are there. They have got balloons. Their children, they're cheering, and these little kids just do such a phenomenal job on stage. I mean, we might have one or two meltdowns, but they pretty <laughs> much pay attention and sing songs and and do performances. We've got nursing pinnings uh, going on that week and other uh, graduating uh, ceremonies, recognition ceremonies for Allied Health. So it's just phenomenal. It's our favorite time of the year.
3: You mentioned, and we've talked about this in the past when you and I have had conversations, the growth of this university and its reach in not only Acadiana, but all of Southwest Louisiana. And you just mentioned it, the largest graduating class, graduating ceremony, graduation ceremony rather, that you guys have had. What does that say about you, your staff, and everyone's efforts here on the Cajun Prairie to grow this university to the point where you're having massive graduation ceremonies like you have just a few years removed from the global pandemic that wreaked havoc on so many things.
5: Well, I mean, it is an all hands on deck effort, but I think what that shows uh me as as the person fortunate enough to be the chancellor as as I do tell people, I'm just I'm just a leader at the college. I am not the leader. There are many, many leaders at at the college but it shows the dedication to uh, our region the Acadiana region we have students from almost every parish in Louisiana we have students from out-of-state we have international students we recently learned uh, this uh, this year uh, the Board of Regents had a momentum summit and that is to ensure that we are all every higher ed institution in the state. We were all together in one room in for two days, four-year colleges, two-year spaces there because we are trying to achieve their uh, 60 by 2030 goals. 60% of all Louisianans will have some kind of credential past high school by by 2030. Oh, wow. But one of the major things that we learned at that summit is that LSUE... Is number one in academic achievement of in any of the two-year spaces in the state. We are number one in terms of our student achievement, and that was very gratifying to learn. So I think that that's part of this push toward graduation. Um, our students achieve at a phenomenal rate here, and we're so proud of them. Whether they're going to work uh, straight to work or transferring. And not only that, 74% of our students that transfer uh, end up completing a four-year degree. And that is an incredible statistic, not only at the state level, but the national level. Over and over and over again, uh, four-year universities and employers tell us that our students are better prepared than any others that come through their doors so that that is incredibly gratifying it's all due to the efforts of our faculty and staff and to the students what they bring to the table when they come here so nobody works in a vacuum Uh, we've got a great team moving ahead our in-person enrollment is great but we also are uh, developing more and more degrees than certificates that will be available online as well
3: let's talk about one of the other things Because you guys are not resting on your successes. You're continuing to look at how to improve things and how to kind of move forward. And one of those things is this initiative that you guys have, the STEAM Innovation Center, um... that is during right now we're in the fundraising phase of it yes what can you tell us about the steam innovation center
5: well the steam innovation center will be here in the building that we're in we are in the original building on campus the science building it was built in nineteen sixty seven and uh... we are in a campaign and it's not and if it's a win we need to totally renovate this building The STEAM Innovation Center is Science, Technology, Engineering, A for agriculture and M for mathematics or manufacturing. So we're going to totally renovate our teaching and learning facilities here to ensure that we have state-of-the-art types of labs and services for our faculty and our staff. We're going to become an, an innovation hub for regional employers. As we all look toward uh, looking at our own economies and moving forward in the future, one thing that we learned during the pandemic, we will never go back to the way that we were. And Correct. I don't think that the state can go back to the way that it was. The country is certainly not going back to the way that it was. So our job, uh, and I'm we are totally committed to it, is that we want our rural areas to not only survive, but thrive. And that means providing a trained workforce for our employers, having a place where they can come and grow and develop their businesses. Uh, So it's very, very, very exciting. We're going to roll our technology programs into this building. And what we're involved in right now is a major campaign uh, for investors. We have uh, requests at the state level, capital requests, which are being very positively supported by our, our legislators, both in the House and the Senate. We're very grateful for that. Uh, but it's it's like a no-brainer. You know, it's it's the next evolution of LSUE and it's key to economic and workforce development for our region so we're super excited about that uh, we've got capital requests we have an investment committee and we'll we are looking for uh, business and industry partners to help join us in moving our region forward
3: and that that's exciting news especially because the the thing that's so key is that you just can't sit back. You just can't, you, you you can't take a victory lap, right? Never. You, you yeah. can never do that, and you guys yeah. do an amazing job. Once again, the Chancellor of LSUE, Dr. Nancy Sorensen, is joining us here on this special road trip edition of RP3 and Company. Let's talk about something else that you guys have going on right now, these nursing boot camps in the area. What can you tell us?
5: Well, uh, first of all, these are being supported by Humana Health Horizons, and an, another partner, you know, that that we have. We have our, our faculty have constructed uh, nursing and allied health boot camps that will be running this summer. It's at wwwlsuedu boot camp. So they're up on the web, they are ready uh, for ho- folks to register in. They're geared toward uh, young students that are thinking about a career in allied health or nursing, or the adult that wants to start exploring. Careers in allied health and nursing. We all know that uh, these programs are some of the most sought-after graduates in in the state. Our students have 100% employment before they graduate, even. Oh wow! And the salaries, starting salaries are are phenomenal. The average starting salary of an allied health graduate in just year one is almost fifty-five thousand dollars annually. It just continues to grow from there every year that they remain in the field. And the other cool thing is that 90% of our graduates stay in Louisiana. They live here, they work here, they play here. So our annual economic impact, annual economic impact is $72 million back into the economy over and over and over again. And so our state appropriation is under just a little under six million annually. So that's 12 times the value that goes back into the economy every year from LSUE, from the salaries that our graduate graduates earn and put back in the local economy, They're engaged productive citizens. and, and you just you know, really can't ask for anything more than that. But I would urge people go to our website, look at these boot camps allied health and nursing and they we are th- these are being spon- sponsored by Humana Health Horizons and another amazing partner in uh, health care has has joined us they're helping do other yeah, they're supporting other student success initiatives here on campus too
3: we'll wrap it up with this Chancellor uh, my daughter's eight Uh, My daughter, uh, Hattie, is eight. She's uh, wrapping up the third grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is is it too early for me to bring her out here to the Cajun Prairie and tour the campus and get a feel for things, start preparing her to come here when she graduates from high school?
5: Not at all. Not, not at all. We are going to have other academic experiences for kids this summer in technology and some other areas. Uh, So it's never too early to bring her out here, kind of get the feel of what it means to be on a college campus, like we talked about earlier, just having all those little preschoolers here going through their graduation yes. ceremony. I mean, what a beginning, right? It and, is. It and it it it, it hopefully, uh, you know, they may or may not remember it, but hopefully their families and their parents do. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what it's like to start your learning Uh, journey and your educational journey
3: and speaking from someone who is someone who has an associate's degree and went this route years ago it helped me greatly making the transition to school Chad and I were talking about this earlier is that this sometimes this is what students need is to be able to come to a place like LSUE and to get them prepared for that college life because it can be immensely overwhelming and a little scary for some people when they start off with coming to a place like lsu you can get your confidence, you can get those grades, you can take those great classes, you have more of that one-on-one with the teachers as well, and it prepares you for what you need to do later in life.
5: And it prepares you for what you need to do at half of the price. that start That it, it is the cost of a four-year university. We want our students to be successful, and we want them to move on to other for your universities in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, uh, the UL system, uh, Alexandria, Shreveport, students have a lot of great colleges to choose from here in Louisiana. But at half the price and the academic preparation, you can't beat it. Uh, we're not a campus of 35,000 students. No. We're a wonderful place for people to get started. And, you know, I just can't say enough about it.
3: Chancellor? Thank Sir? you for your time, as always. Thank you. are doing a great job over here. It is wonderful
5: to see you, always.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you. we got to take a time out. When we return, we'll wrap up our number two here of this road-tripping edition of RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the Cajun Prairie.
1: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero Dale Murphy.
3: I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond
1: though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his long highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports, sports station. station.
3: Welcome back to this road trip edition of RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from the campus of LSU Eunice, right here in the Cajun Prairie. Just had a great conversation with the Chancellor, Dr. Nancy Sorensen, talking about everything that they have going on here, the initiatives and everything else. Lots of activity, lots of good things happening here at LSU Eunice. But we do have a poll question of the day. It's about the NBA playoffs. We're all to game six now. Every one of the series is going to have a game six after the results from last night's games. Dawson, where do we stand on the poll question of the day? What are the latest results, my friend? And do we have any comments to share with the fine folks listening?
2: So five percent of you say we're only going to have zero or one game sevens in the NBA Easter or the NBA conference semifinal round. Forty-three percent of you, that's the leading vote getter, say we'll have two. So, half of the four, 24% say three, and 28% of you say all four. Um, some other comments coming in here as uh, unfortunately my phone's not conveniently loading. So, uh, maybe you have a comment, <laughs> RP3. Uh,
3: look, I, I would not be. I think we're going to get at least two game sevens, if not three, to be perfectly frank with you. I just, you, you know, I look at it, the, uh, I said it before Nugget Suns feels like a seven game series. I also believe that you're going to see uh, possibly seven games with Warriors, Lakers. I like the Lakers to win and close it out in Game Six back in LA. I do. I, I think you're going to see uh, vintage LeBron James. That said, Golden State is not a team that you can count out. They've come down from deficits before. This is nothing new for them. And in the East, I think Miami close out closes out New York. I don't think that goes to seven games. And even though Philly's up, we do know Doc Rivers has a history of playoff meltdowns with his teams being up either three games to one or three games to two. Uh, Look, Boston's opened the door. Philly's in control. But the Celtics, they have enough talent. They have the veteran experience. I could see them pushing it to seven games as well.
2: Yeah, I would mostly agree with what you said there. Um, It should be interesting to see.
3: That's going to do it for our number two. Make sure to keep voting on that poll question of the day. Post your comments. We will share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Coming up to kick off hour number three, we're going to head down to New Orleans, Les East, from christencitysports.com. He's going to join us. He's going to give his thoughts about Foster Moreau's signing and what that does for the Saints and what other moves they still have left to do. That's all coming up right here on The Game.
0: Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here
1: is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
3: Final hour of RP3 and company has arrived here on the campus of LSUE on the Cajun Prairie. That's right. Road tripping with RP3 here at LSUE. Two hours in the books. Final hour coming up. Half an hour from right now. The man who's won more national championships than I can count. Well, okay. Seven. He's won seven. <laughs> Look, my public school was not great as a child. <laughs> Seven-time national champion. A man who has built the LSUE baseball program from scratch to a national perennial powerhouse. He's also the longtime athletic director. Oh, by the way, they're about to start regional play next week as the one seed, one of the best teams in the country. LSUE is. The longtime baseball coach, Jeff Willis, will be joining us That'll be coming up half an hour from right now. But right now, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints football. An unexpected move happened yesterday. Foster Moreau, the Jesuit Blue Jay, former LSU team captain, and one heck of a tight end in the NFL for the Raiders, had looked into wanting to be signed. They came close a while back for him to join the New Orleans Saints and be rejoined with his former Starting quarterback, Derek Carr. But when they did the medicals, they uncovered that there was something wrong. Come to find out, Foster had lymphoma. And his football career was in jeopardy. Well, he is fighting the disease. He's fighting it well. And so much so, that team started saying, hey, this is a guy that we need to go sign because he's going to be healthy enough to contribute. Well, he decided to sign with the Saints, the team that originally came and pursued him. And the team that essentially helped find... That diagnosis, for him to fight said disease, three-year deal, is now been signed, and Foster Moreau is now part of the Saints. And to break all that down for us is the man who covers the New Orleans Saints for CrescentCitySports.com. Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you. Brother, how are you, my friend? I'm doing
6: well, Raymond. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, bud. So this happened pretty quickly, right, because I was under the impression for the longest time that Foster may not even be ready for the season that his football career is going to have to be put on hold and that you know it was just going to be a pipe dream if he was going to be able to even come back and play and yet here he is signing a three-year deal with guaranteed money how did this come to be
6: well it's uh, pretty remarkable how how quickly it did come together uh, in the wake of the, the medical diagnosis a couple of months ago um, you know we We talked last week after the NFL draft about how tight end was going to be the Saints' biggest uh, remaining need because they didn't address it in the draft. And I think I said at the time that that Foster Morrow was sort of the wild card in that equation in that if he were able to play next season, he was very much on the Saints' radar and that possibly could be the solution to the tight end situation I certainly didn't expect that we'd be talking about him signing a contract a week later. But at the end of the draft, Dennis Allen was asked about Foster Morrow, and he kind of uh, you know, said, you will see, but his comments struck me as being uh, more positive than I would have expected. So it, it led me to believe that it was a possibility that he could still be a part of this team for this year. I didn't think again that it would be this quickly, but, uh, you know, that's the best part of the story is it just looks like the progress he has made health-wise has been nothing short of remarkable. And, um, you know, he fills uh, uh, their biggest remaining need. He comes to his hometown uh, to join a team that looks like it's had a pretty good off-season to try and get back to the playoffs, so it's, it's just a, a feel good story that really came out of nowhere uh, in the last twenty four hours or so.
3: What do we know uh, about his health? And you know, because some reports say that he may be ready to go for the start of the season. What are you hearing about Foster? And will he be ready for training camp? And will he be ready for the season?
6: Yeah, I don't think anybody can can say with with any great degree of Confidence, but the fact that they did sign into a contract with guaranteed money uh, suggests that the uh, the the medical treatment is going very well. Uh, I think there is a belief that he could be ready for the start of training camp. I, I saw some speculation that he might even be available uh, prior to that. I, I believe the um, veteran mini camp is a second week of June before they break for training camp I I might be pushing it a little bit but it is possible that he would be able to do some sort of work prior to training camp but I think if he's just able to get on the field for the first practice at the end of July that would be a a a huge uh, step forward for him and at this point I think the the hope is uh, certainly that he'll be ready for the start of the season. All of this, of course, is subject to change. There's a lot of speculation here, and uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that Morrow and his doctors are are just taking it one day at a time. But obviously, there's a lot of optimism there.
3: And 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 the thing that popped in my head too, Les, is let's say for whatever reason, because of the treatment that he's going through, maybe he's a little slow. To, to get back into the uh, proper amount of conditioning needed to be a starter in the NFL, right? And let's say that's a little bit slow, and, we don't, and the Saints don't have him early in the season. Maybe he just pops up after week five or week six. Even if that's the case, that's still a huge deal for this team in this offense to be able to have him come back and give them another weapon in this offense.
6: Yeah, if he's able to play the majority of the season, that that's a, a huge bonus that you probably would not have been expecting just a couple of weeks or even a few days ago, and and it wouldn't be shocking and, and shouldn't be discouraging necessarily if he were to start training camp on, on the physically unable to perform list. The, the speculation about being ready for training camp, you know, is speculation. We we don't know that for sure, so. I'm sure they're going to be very cautious uh, going forward, and I'm sure he'll be limited in training camp if he is available. Uh, But, you know, this will play out over the next few months, and we'll see. But you're right, even if he were to uh, be kind of slow in coming back and wasn't ready at the beginning of the season, if he's able to give them half a season or more, I I think that's a – a huge development, of course, for him, but also for the team.
3: Les, how big of a deal is it to bring in someone that Derek Carr has so much familiarity with and has such good chemistry with?
6: Oh, I think it's important. You know, this is going to be not only Derek Carr's offense, but Derek Carr's team. And I think that uh, to have players, they also signed a wide receiver from the Raiders. So... To have guys that he's already familiar with, that he, can, uh, that he has uh, connections with, that he's comfortable with, I think accelerates the process of him uh, being the leader of the offense instead of uh, everybody on the offense having, adapt- having to adapt to him and vice versa. Uh, he has a bit of a head start in that regard with a couple of former teammates, and, and Foster certainly is an important one. We're talking with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com.
3: He joins us here on this special road-tripping edition of RP3 Company as we're broadcasting live from the campus of LSUE. Les, so they get Foster. Obviously, they give them the guaranteed contract, a three-year deal. They expect them to have them for the season. Does this mean, though, that they're done making any type of move at tight end, or do you think they could still go get themselves – a you know journeyman veteran just to have another body on the roster, or do you think they're done there?
6: I think they're probably done there. I mean, if, if they find somebody out there who's um, at the right price that would give them uh, some insurance there, they might make the move. But, you know, Jawan Johnson was, was the main guy until Foster signed, and now they have two main guys, I guess you could say. Taysom Hill is still in the equation, although he's, you know, does so many different things. He's not going to get a tremendous number of snaps at tight ends. I mean, those are three pretty prominent guys. I think they have some um, hope for Lucas Kroll, the undrafted free agent who made the roster last season, uh, as, as possibly a person who gives them some depth. So I think they could begin training camp with what they have now, even if they have to wait on Foster for a while and say, we're okay at tight end. But uh, I, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of some sort of insurance policy under the right circumstances, but certainly that's not the priority that it was a couple of days ago.
3: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Taysom because I want to talk about him because he wasn't utilized in the way that we thought he was going to be last year. It, it seemed at times that Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, didn't know what to do with the Swiss Army knife. And a lot of times he was just not even on the field in downs where maybe they could utilize him or where he had been utilized in years prior under Sean Payton. They're bringing in another tight end. Uh, They've brought in a new quarterback. So what role is Taysom Hill, in your opinion, going to be playing for this team In this season, are we going to see him go back to how he was utilized as Sean Payton, or are we going to see him, you know, kind of just maybe disappear a little bit?
6: Well, they also brought in two running backs, so that further complicates finding the right role for him. Um, So I don't think he's going to disappear because he's too uh, valuable uh, an asset. I think if you go back and Look at uh, last season games in which he he got at least nine touches, I think is kind of the magic number. Um, In whatever fashion he got those touches, the offense was at its most productive. So he's going to be, I I think primarily, he's going to be the change-of-pace quarterback, as he has been in the past, so they can run the read option and he can bring that, that running game element to the quarterback position, he's also gotten better as a passer so i think the change of pace quarterback remains a, a, a big part of how they're going to use him but i do think he'll still be out there as a running back and i think they're still figuring out how to use him as a tight end you know uh, i talked to him in training camp last year and you know he had you know tight end you got to get down in the three point stance he had never been in a three point stance before he has rushed on punt on the punt team, the punt block team, uh, but that's a totally different uh, stance and um, w- way of playing the game. And so that was uh, everything was brand new to him at tight end last year, and I think there was a, a growth process he had to go through. So I wouldn't rule out him being more involved as a tight end this year, and I think with wide receiver and quarterback and running back, They'll still find a way to keep him as involved as he has been in the past, and uh, they better because he's a very important asset. That uh, even though they've added a lot of assets, he's still an important one that they need to keep involved.
3: We'll wrap it up with this, Les. Uh, I'll bring this to you because I've been asked. Uh, it's been asked to me a few times. We know, you know, they restructured Michael Thomas's deal, and they're really high on. Shaheed and what he can do, and obviously Chris Olave coming off a tremendous rookie season. Um, but, you know, there's still wide receiver. Maybe depth is still maybe in question. You still have Traquan Smith under contract. But I keep getting asked, what's the possibility that they could bring Jarvis Landry back on a team-friendly one-year deal? Is that even remotely something that could happen?
6: Yeah, I think it's still possible. Um, I, I, you know, they also have the draft choice from Wake Forest. I think that they're optimistic about him being able to make the team or at least the practice roster. So, you know, the depth at wide receiver is something they could still address. I I don't think it's something that's uh, that's crucial to do. I, I think now that they've addressed tight end, I think they're going to take a look at, at – The money they have left, which is they have a little bit. It's not substantial, but they do have some. And they're going to look around and see what the best value is out there. It could be a wide receiver. And if it is, it's probably going to be Jarvis they would pursue. It could be a linebacker. It could be a DB. Um, And it also has a lot to do with the market and what Jarvis might be able to get elsewhere. He's not going to be able to sign many more contracts, so I think he's going to be looking for the best deal he can get, and the Saints will probably be looking for a hometown discount. So the chances that the planets align just right for him to come back and for them to have the money and the commitment to him, I don't know how great a chance there is of that happening, but I certainly don't rule it out. I think he's a guy who would be on a list, of, uh you know a handful of possibilities for them to f- to fill out the roster before training camp
3: well Les the planet's always aligned for you to come on our show every week appreciate the insight keep up the tremendous work at com, brother and we'll talk to you next week
6: bud thanks Raymond
1: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake, Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Uh, welcome back to this road trip edition of RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from LSUE here on the Cajun Prairie coming up less than 10 minutes from right now the longtime national championship winning baseball coach and athletic director here at LSUE Jeff Willis will join us they're gearing up for the playoffs which begins next week for the Bengals that's coming up right now though it's time to talk to my guy Dawson Eyes low back in the Evco Development Studios there in Upper Lafayette uh Bud, are, are, are you lonely? Is uh, did you even turn on the lights in the studio? Because I know you like things to be dark when I'm not around. The lights uh, are
2: on in my studio. The lights are not on in the other portion of the Evco Development Studios.
3: You know you will have to turn on those lights because our guy Kevin Foot. Kevin
2: will turn them on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying it was yeah. it was a long no, night he'll for make, Footsie, so you got the lights for sure.
3: Yes, yes, you'll you'll have to make sure things are lit up for him. Uh, Let's talk about yesterday. We haven't had a chance to do so, but I made the trip over to Lovely Sulphur for the state baseball championships. Got there a little early. Got to see some of the earlier games. Once again, weather has wrecked havoc on the state baseball tournament. They had games that were supposed to be played on Tuesday that got washed out and rescheduled for Wednesday morning. But then more weather came, so then they took those games, including the... Uh, semifinal game involving the Notre Dame Pios, and pushed that to last night. Well, guess what? Those games didn't get played last night because bad weather yet again wrecked havoc. And now Notre Dame, who was supposed to play on Tuesday, is now not playing their semifinal game until today. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But St. Thomas More was there, and the weather looked fine, and everything got delayed because the two o'clock games didn't get started until 2.30. So like Kinder and Berwick didn't get started until 2.30, so that kind of delayed everything. STM gets an inning in. E.D. White gets up on them. They have an opportunity to tie it up in the top of the second inning with a two-out single, unable to get a run across. And then it starts to sprinkle a little bit, and you're like, okay, and I'm out there shooting videos and, and, and photos, which, of course, I shared on social media last night and tagged the station in. And then all of a sudden it just opens up. And it, the clouds weren't even all that dark, Dawson. It just opens up, and then it's just pouring. And then there comes the lightning. And, of course, because if there's lightning, it resets. So, you have to wait 30 minutes. To, every time there's a new lightning strike, you got to wait 30 minutes before being able to take the field. The game was in a massive delay, so much so that I had to leave and come home. <laughs> so, because they didn't get started, they stopped the game in the middle of the second inning they didn't get started again until 9 30 last night and just uh, an absolute challenge for any of the teams not only stm who obviously ended up falling just short to uh, ed white in the uh, division three semifinals but just an enormous task i mean that was the one game that they got in, one of the few games right. they got in. They had to push everything else. Uh, you know, the, the town of Sulphur had to make concessions to make sure to leave the lights on later than what they're supposed to. Uh, you have to get all these agreements done and everything like that when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it was pure chaos over in the Lake Charles-Sulfur area. And not only that, McNeese, they had their game delayed at, their, uh, at the Southland Conference softball tournament. They were able to squeeze it in, but some of those other games were unable to be played, and they had to push those and reschedule them. So it's just keeping your fingers crossed here in the next couple of days, Dawson, that the Southland Conference tournament will be able to get its games in, that the state baseball championships will be able to get their games in. There's talk about having to move some of those games to Mother's Day on Sunday. And then, of course, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns there at Lampson Park.
2: Yeah, and the Sunbelt Tournament was actually able to get – they only had two games scheduled. They were able to get those in um, yesterday, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Tyler Weimer was the difference for A.D. White, and you always yeah. wonder when you have a rain delay like that, are you going to be able to bring the guy back? And I guess they figured he didn't throw too much before the delay, so they didn't feel like he was uh, you know, too far into his outing to have to shut him down. So he comes back and he strikes out 12, just gives up the one run. Um, And it's two to one ball game. And and if you're STM, you know, that's tough again. Like, you know, just not you're not used to dealing with long delays like that. I think if it's any sort of regular season game, that game probably gets postponed or canceled altogether. Right. So you're not you know, you don't deal with too, too many rain delays like that. Um, Three plus
3: hours for them. Three plus hours. I mean, yeah. And and, and the people will tell you baseball folks will tell you that that's one of the, the most difficult things to have to deal with is get started. Right? You go through all your preparation. You get an inning and a half, two innings in, and then you have to sit for three plus hours. Because it's not like you can go into the dugout or the locker room and you can, you know, uh, simulate pitches or right. do anything like that. So you, you go from getting warmed up and your body's all ready to go, and then all of a sudden it's nothing for and, three plus hours.
2: Yeah, no. And I mean, I, look, my, my uh, sophomore year of high school, we were playing kinder on the road and had gotten warmed up. Everything was ready to go. Uh, They were the home team in the playoffs, so they were on the field, and it absolutely started pouring. We sat for about two, two and a half hours and ended up traveling to Iowa because Iowa's field didn't get as nearly as much rain. So then we traveled over there, started the game around 9.30, I think, same similar type situation. Um, Started a playoff game, and we actually came out, played really well early, and then ended up losing the game in the end. Then we traveled home, and I went to school the next day, even though I got home at 3 in the morning. None of my teammates went to school. Uh, I got the bad end of that deal. But anyway. <laughs> switching over to Sunbelt Softball, the uh, the Cajuns will face UL Monroe. I actually watched that game between Monroe and Georgia State. Both teams kicked it around a little bit, pitched well early, then had some defensive woes. Um Monroe went up four to one with three runs in the top of the in the bottom of the sixth. And then actually Georgia State had the bases loaded with a chance to tie or take the lead there with a big swing, but Monroe gets out of the jam, so it'll be the, the Warhawks facing the Cajuns. Team they just swept last weekend. Um, it's the better RPI opportunity. Monroe's uh, around 120. Uh, Georgia State was around 180. So it's a big RPI chance um, as opposed to what you would have had facing Georgia State. Um, but also a team the Cajuns just finished playing in state rivalry. And um, certainly look, and, and, and Foote and I talked about this a little bit uh, off the air yesterday. Like, Monroe looked very capable in that series. Like, they're not a bad softball team at all. So uh, you're going to Correct. You're gonna have to stay focused and be ready to go.
3: And Jerry Glasgow's team is going to have to do exactly that because they literally just played them last weekend, right? So, and they looked capable. That's an in state rivalry. It's a tournament. It's, you know, it's a one game situation. So you can't take anything for granted. You can't just expect that the Raging Cajuns are going to be able to get the easy dub there because I don't think that's going to be the case.
2: Well, and, and I know we have to get to a break here, but you know what's interesting as well is the Cajuns that was senior weekend. So Coach Glasgow chose to throw all of his different pitchers. Uh, throughout the weekend to give those seniors a chance to have an outing at home and all those things of that nature. But the flip side of that is Monroe saw everybody uh, and pretty much, pretty much every pitcher the Cajuns are going to throw in this tournament. They saw them all. So that's maybe a bit of an advantage to the War. Now the Cajuns offensively were good and the Warhawks had to pretty much use everybody in their staff as well. So it's going to be a game of familiarity. It's going to be who can make those adjustments and, um, and play the better game again, win, win or go home. It's not double elimination in this format. So, you have to show up locked in. That game will be tonight, I believe, at 7 o'clock. Of course, weather pending. There's a bunch of games. The Sun Belt's got a full slate today, so they're going to need the weather to hold off to get all those games in.
3: And we'll see if they'll be able to do so. Once again, weather permitting, it's going to try to wreak havoc for the Southland Conference softball tournament, the Sun Belt Conference softball tournament, and, of course, the state baseball championships all in southwest Louisiana. we got to take a timeout. When we return, speaking of playoffs, the man who has led the LSUE Bengals for so long, has won seven national championships, and has his team ranked as the number one seed for their playoffs, which begin next week, will join us Jeff Willis, live right here on this Road Trip edition of RP Three and Company as we broadcast live from LSUE here on the Cajun Prairie. Oh, welcome back to RP Three and Company as we're broadcasting live here at LSUE on the Cajun Prairie. And joining us now on this special road trip and edition of the show is the man who took this baseball program and led it to unprecedented success, making it into a national powerhouse. He's also the longtime athletic director here. It's our good friend Jeff Willis joins us. Coach, good morning, brother. How are I, you? I
7: appreciate you guys coming to campus. This is exciting and you know, you guys do a phenomenal job. I know Dawson's back in the studio right now. And I was looking forward to seeing him. So Dawson, maybe next time you can head on over as well and or maybe let Raymond stay back and you come over.
2: Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs>
7: <laughs>
3: and of course Dawson says. Yes. Yes. And uh yeah that would be fun uh i don't think it would be good for anyone to have me run the board that could that could that could be that could end terribly coach that could be a <laughs> bad 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 decision we'll have to find some type of guest producer to come in for that day uh so look uh, you guys are once again here in a position you're gearing up for the playoffs like you always do how different is it when you're hosting the regional like you guys are doing the, the region tournament compared to having to go on the road
7: well I think anybody wants to play at home and sleep in right. their own bed and and things of that nature and you're comfortable at home but on the flip side of that is there's a lot of work there's a lot of work that has to be put in and you know we're we're, we're hoping the weather that's happening this week doesn't happen next week because that can throw <laughs> a hamper into field maintenance and field work um, because we're our own field crew and so you'll have your coaches and players out there pulling tarp taking it off and on and and so we pray that that doesn't happen next week, and because then you get locked into long nights. That not that's not just you playing, but it's also you trying to take care of the field um, for those other teams to play. So there is a. Blessing to be able to play at home and sleep in your own beds, but, but there is a lot of hard work. And we've got a phenomenal staff on campus with, with faculty and staff, and they're going to pull some weight as well. And, and, that, and that's phenomenal to, to see those people volunteer to come out and work the gate and um, work our hospitality tent and do all those little jobs that need to be done. And, and if we didn't have that, there's no way we could, we could host this type of an event.
3: Do you change your approach at all as a longtime coach? And you've been doing this for, for quite a while when it comes to dealing with your own team because there is a different mentality a little bit when you have to go on the road. You go into enemy territory, you got the fans yelling at you and, you know, berating you and, you know, jeering you and everything like that compared to being at home where everyone's real quick to pat you on the back. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a different thing. Do you change your approach with your guys or do you trust them and their ability to buy into what you guys do here, that you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. We,
7: we don't we don't change anything we want to do, and, and we're big about talking through the year of making sure that we don't make any game more important than another game. Okay. And so we talk through the entire year. It starts in August that game one is just as important as game 27 versus game 56, or the last game you're going to play of the year. Don't build up and make one game more important than another. And I think teams that are able to do that we we don't need no raw raw speech to go into the playoffs. And and you see you see coaches that'll do that. You'll see teams that'll all of a sudden be a different team in the playoffs and they put way too much pressure on themselves. It's like I told our guys yesterday and we talk about it, the haze in the barn. The haze in the barn. We can't go back. We can't do this different, that different. We can learn from our mistakes. Um, we can't rest on our laurels as, as well. We can't feel like we have all these things figured out, and we've had a phenomenal year you, record-wise and ranking-wise and everything. Uh, but, again, none of that carries over to the last season of the year, which is the playoff season. Um, but we don't want to be a different team. We, we don't talk about the opponent. Um, we'll have a scouting report. we spent a lot of time on that. Um, but we want to worry about ourselves. and our coaches can know the scouting report and the scouting and how to position guys, how to pitch guys but we want our guys to just show up, know the haze in the barn and let the chips fall where they fall. And and I tell the guys, look around, look around, see the crowds, smell the, the air, you know, see the sights, enjoy it, breathe all of that in. Um, enjoy the nerves that you have. Enjoy that butterfly that's in your stomach. And, because you, you know as you get older and older and older sometimes you don't feel those types of emotions and those emotions are very very important in our human spirit and embrace that embrace the close game and embrace the pressure realize the pressure is is a, is a privilege and not and not necessarily a, a um, you know something to ever fear um, and so if you do that and you be the same team you've been the entire year you're gonna play like you've done the entire year if you're gonna play differently, Um, and you are a different team, then now it's a flip of the coin of who's going to show up.
3: It's become cliche to say, but they always say it. It, It's far harder to stay on top of the mountain than it is to make the climb. And you, a long time ago, made that climb up to the mountain and became a national champion and then have become a multiple national champion. And you guys very much set the bar. You're, you're, You're the standard. Is the biggest challenge for you as the skipper is to make sure you your guys, those young men that take the field and, and put on the uniform, they don't take it for granted and they understand that, yes, we have banners, yes, we have the championship trophies, but you know what? That's in the past. If you want it, you're going to have to work just as hard. Nothing's given to you. Is that the biggest challenge Well,
7: you? I, I, you, you talk about the climb, and, and that's always the, – the climb is always fun. And right. when you get there and now – Skip Burtman said this a long time ago. I hope, I hope all my friends win one national championship. I hope all of my enemies win two, because now it's expected every single year. Once you do it more than one, and you win one, sometimes that's a flip, you know, flip of the coin, and, and the stars aligned, and things of that nature. Um, but I think it's key. We don't ever talk about winning a game. I never talk about winning a championship. I never talk about what's what's the score on the scoreboard. We talk about what it looks like to play the best game we're capable of playing, and then let the chips fall where they fall. and our definition of success is not sitting on that scoreboard. And and we may come out on that scoreboard and we didn't play very well. Or we may come out second on that scoreboard and we played extremely well and the stars aligned for the opponent that day or that night. And so when you define what success is and it's not sitting on that scoreboard, it's not with how much money's in your pocket, it's not with how much power, fame, all that kind of stuff, and you define what success looks like of you reaching your full potential in every single area of your life, then all the pressure seems to come off and the scoreboard takes care of itself. And then people are not looking at the scoreboard and defining success by what's up there. But but in the sports world, we define that with what's on that scoreboard. But if you take that, that idea and that premise, then it erases what's on the banners. It erases all that pressure that those kids could possibly feel. Because I'll tell them, their identity and their... They're a, the team that they are is not going to be based on if they win or lose a baseball game. And that's, that's the fleeting thing that we seem to be teaching young people today is we tie their identity to, to what's on a scoreboard. or We tie their identity with how much money they make or how successful they are instead of taking what's around them and the potential they've been given and working their tail off to do everything they possibly can to be who they're supposed to be. And when you're able to do that and you're able to reach down and kids or, or, or young people, older adults, anyone starts to realize and to find success by that, life's very enjoyable then. And then the pressure seem to come
3: off. We're talking with Jeff Willis, the longtime national championship winning baseball coach here at LSUE on this edition of RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the Cajun Prairie. You know, you and I have talked about this before. You are here and you have these young men for two years, and in some cases, you've had them in three during the pandemic and everything like that with the extra year of eligibility, but now it's starting to get back to normal. I, I do wonder, does it keep you energized constantly? Because, yes, a team is different every year. You'll have guys that will move on. But for you, you know, you don't even have guys here for three or four years, right? You, you're not going to have any of those senior leaders that have been around and you know know how to do things does that keep you energized, knowing that kind of essentially every year it's a fresh start here with the program? Well, I, I think um, when, when you look at those young people,
7: they come here for a reason. They choose us. Um, we, we go recruit them, so we choose them right out of the shoot that we want them to come, but then they choose us. And so we, we have a, a, a tremendous responsibility to do do right by them um, and, and help them develop not as as baseball players um, in a program or an athlete in one of our athletic programs, but we have a responsibility to develop them um, as a young man, young woman, and who they're supposed to be and who they have the potential to be as well. And so – Every fall, every August, I wake up, and, and I'm always energized. It's like Christmas morning, August, when those kids move in and the first team meeting because they're all eager. They're all ready to go, and, um, and and there's a lot of things in life you don't get to experience that kind of stuff. You don't get to experience something new every single year. Now, there's heartbreak that's going to go on as well because what you talked about when you only get those, those individuals for, for two, three years on a special circumstance, about the time you really get close with them and you really get to know them and they really get to know you, they're moving on. Right. And so I tell them all the time, we, we've got you for a couple of years when you're here, um, you've got us for the rest of your life. And, um, and it's just over the years, the last 20 years, just to see those young people and who they are and what they're doing and the families they have is just tremendous.
3: I think uh, another byproduct of coming here and playing for you, and I'll be interested to see if you if you agree with me, is that your guys that come through and play for you, because it's a shorter time, I think they learn their leadership skills sooner than later. If they go to a bigger program like a four-year school, they can maybe sit back and wait and not have to do anything. But because you guys are only a two-year program, well, guess what? You're going to be counting on some of these guys definitely – as sophomores, but maybe even at the end of their own freshman year, to hey, step up, be a team leader. This is how we do things. I need you to show this and embody this. Do you feel that way? That you maybe are preparing these guys to be leaders earlier than say they would be if they went no, to. No, I, I think program?
7: yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. You know that does happen. Um, you know we. We want our players to police themselves. You know, we want them to hold each other accountable. You know, if you have a authoritative figure, a coach or, or a boss or anything that's putting a thumb on everyone and, and saying you gotta do this and you gotta do that, that organization can never work and can never thrive and a lot of times it's just trying to survive. But when you take the reins off and you don't micromanage people, if you're a coach, you let the players run the program and what I mean by that is they've gotta you've gotta teach them what that looks like. But when they start holding each other accountable, or if I walk out to practice one day, and 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 somebody's running, and I don't know why they're running, and there's some upperclassmen, some captains standing at home plate, and then you start to ask like, why is so and so doing that right now? And and you hear, coach, he missed class, and we don't do that here, and and so when 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 you have that type of accountability, um, everybody, because we we always talk about we need to deserve to win, when, when at the very end, and and there's nothing more based on confidence and knowing that you deserve to succeed or deserve to win, deserve to have something good happen to you because you've worked your tail off and you deserve that to take place. That's confidence, and confidence is controllable. And we all have the ability to control our confidence, and, and a lot of people say it's not. No, it is. It, it's controllable. And when you see somebody that's lacking confidence and they're not prepared for whatever's in front of them or something's going on in their life. And so to get young people to realize that, because they're all searching for that confidence and realize that if they just work their tail off and they hold each other, because we're going to screw up too. All of us are going to screw up. All of us are going to make mistakes. So out of love, if you're able to hold people accountable through that, now your team will thrive, your business will thrive, your organization will thrive um, because it's done out of love, and you want what's truly best for those
3: individuals. we only got a minute, uh, Coach, but I need to ask you before we let you go. Uh, the The <coughs> massive project that you guys – have have taken on in the last year or so the renovation project with the baseball facility and the other facilities on campus. Where do we stand uh, with that, and uh, how can people uh, help?
7: Well, we're we're extremely excited. You know, we're going to have the top. You know, our first project is our new baseball stadium. We'll get started. look like groundbreaking looks like in November. Oh wow! Um, and nice. so that thing's coming, and, and we'll be able to play at our facility next year while they're starting to build all of that, and then open. Not hopefully we'll open that thing up in in January of 2025 and so we're excited about that we've had a lot of help from from local individuals uh, people in Acadiana uh, we've got a steering committee that's that's driving that bus right now um, we've got our legislatures, legislators and legislature across the state that support what we're doing. And, you know, we're going to have the first project. We'll have the nicest baseball stadium in, in junior college baseball. And and I think our young people deserve that. I think our community deserves that, to be able to have that type of facility to come out and watch our young people, but also to use that facility for a multi-use type of a, a facility for concerts and things of that nature, that we don't have anything in this neck of the woods to be able to do that. And so we're we're plugging down that path. You know, you can go to our website. We have all the – there's some plans up of what we're doing and that thing uh, with with what we're doing and, and call my office and we'll get you involved because we got naming rights and we got all that kind there of stuff and so uh, we're we're definitely looking for
3: some help, coach. Appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for having us. And next time we come out here, I'll make sure I'll, I'll, I'll let Dawson come along, and you can talk to him because you probably <laughs> f- prefer talking to him. I mean, he's been doing a great job for you guys. So
7: yeah, no, I appreciate what Dawson Dawson's calling game. You know, our play by play at our games, and so he's done he's done a phenomenal job. When my wife says, "Hey, you're that announcer and you're play by play, he's really really good," and and so that that's the that's the check mark, Dawson. So appreciate you thank coming you. out. <laughs> thank you, Coach. Yep.
1: Thanks, guys. This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Final results of the poll question of the day. We asked you, out of four game sixes that are going to take place, in the next couple of days in the NBA, how many get to game seven? 4% of you say zero or one. 42% of you, the leading vocators, say two of the four. 29% say three, and 25% say all four. Quite a day, RP3.
3: Quite a day, and it was an amazing day here on the Cajun Prairies. We broadcast live from LSUE. want to thank all of our guests. Of course, Travis Webb from the Office of Public Relations. I also call him the Sports Information Director because he does it all out here. Chad Jones with Academic Affairs and Community Outreach. Dr. Nancy Sorensen, the Chancellor. Of course, the longtime baseball coach and athletic director, Jeff Willis. And of course, on the phone, our good friend Les East to talk about the Foster Moreau signing. Want to thank all of them for making this happen. Want to thank LSUE for setting this up. It's a tremendous time. We've done this now three times and it gets better and better, and I love being out here and being part of what they're doing. That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9, live from the EFCO Development Studios. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.